Well, Bill Self's bench depth took a hit with Marcus Adams Jr., who had reclassified to join the team early in 2023. He opts instead to reopen his recruitment. What does it mean for Kansas and who might be snagging themselves a top 50 prospect heading into next season? Let's discuss. You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, folks, welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, the only daily national college hoop show out there, part, of course, of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, Andy Patton. I want to thank all of you for making Locked On College Basketball your first listen or your first watch of the day. Shout out, of course, to those everyday listeners who have been with us for almost a year now as we get closer to our anniversary here on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Appreciate all of you, whether this is your first time listening 10th, 100th, whatever it may be. Of course, we really appreciate the patronage and those of you who have checked us out on YouTube and checking us out right now. You can hit that subscribe button there if you have not done so yet. We're going to talk about Summer League now that it has wrapped up. We're going to talk about the players who maybe look like they are outperforming where they were selected in the NBA draft. Maybe some guys who haven't looked up to snuff yet. Of course, it's early. Summer League, how much does it really matter? All that good stuff to close out the show. But before we get to that, we got to talk about the big news coming out of Lawrence, Kansas. Bill Self squad loses another player from the roster, Marcus Adams Jr., a six foot eight forward from Harbor City, California, a four star recruit. He committed to Kansas in March of this last year. A guy who was kind of a late riser into the kind of four star territory. He only had four high major offers at the start of the calendar year in 2023. He picked up nine more in a really short succession after having a really successful season in Harbor City. He picked up offers from UCLA, where he also took an official visit, took an official visit at Syracuse, of course, took an official visit at Kansas, decided to commit to the Jayhawks, and right after the season ended, he reclassified so that he would be able to join the team in the class of 2023. But now he posts on Sunday on social media, a post that says, I'm going to reopen my recruitment, I'm going to be back out there available. And now Kansas loses yet another piece to their bench. So before we look at some teams that have already contacted Adams and what that might mean for him, I want to talk a little bit about what this means for Bill Self and their squad. And, and frankly, it's a continuing testament to something we've already talked about on this podcast, which is Bill Self and many other high-profile coaches and high-profile programs play really shallow benches. And teams that don't play a lot of depth are running into a similar situation where some of those guys, especially teams that are able to recruit multiple four or five-star prospects per year, like North Carolina, like Kansas, like Kentucky, if you're not playing guys who have that kind of pedigree, they're not going to stick around. Now, Adams leaves before he even has the opportunity to not play a lot, if that makes sense. Adams is very young. Very young for his class. Of course, anybody who reclassifies tends to be in that bucket. And you read the scouting reports on him. There's a great write-up by Eric Bossy at 24-7 Sports. And basically, all of the talk about Marcus Adams is about upside. He's raw right now. He didn't play against super elite high school competition. The upside is tantalizing. He had a 50-point, 20-rebound game in high school. There is reasons that Kansas was interested in the first place. There's a reason he took an official visit to UCLA. But the expectation was that he was not going to play a significant role for Kansas next year. And, and that's not surprising at all. Look at who Kansas has. 
They gain Hunter Dickinson in the transfer portal. They gain Nick Towson. They gain Arturio Morris, Parker Braun. They pick up in the portal as well. They have KJ Adams coming back. They have Kevin McCollar coming back. I think that was a big one in terms of Adams's decision. They have Dewan Harris coming back. That's pretty much a full team right there. Then you factor in that they have an inco- incoming freshman, El Marco Jackson, top 20 player in the class of 2023. He's going to play minutes. You have Jamari McDowell. He's a borderline top 100 prospect, probably not necessarily in that mix right away. But out of that group right there, you already have multiple guys who are going to fill significant roles. Adams just wasn't likely going to be one of them. And that doesn't mean he didn't deserve to be on Kansas's roster. It doesn't mean he wasn't good enough. It just means that he was not going to be a rotation player in year one. And that's probably what he's looking for. Most players who reclassify up don't do so to sit on the bench. You don't reclassify to redshirt. Some do. Maybe that's going to be the case with Adams or other players who've done the same. But my read on the situation is that Adams wanted to go somewhere where he's going to get more immediate playing time. And he didn't think he was going to find that at Kansas, which is probably a correct read on the situation. So who's interested? Who's invested? Who's involved? So far, and this is a tweet from Joe Tipton at Tipton Edits, of course, part of the On3 recruiting network there. And it came out just a few hours uh, shortly. We're recording this just a few hours after that update came out. You guys are listening to this a day later here on Wednesday. And the teams that have contacted Adams already, Gonzaga, West Virginia, BYU, Oregon, Missouri, Boston College, Mississippi State. Then you had a few mid-majors tossed in there, San Diego, UC Santa Barbara, and Binghampton. This is not an exhaustive list. It is the list that we have at this moment. I am sure it will change as many other schools may get involved. Other schools may drop out of the race, etc. Looking at the list, you can see there's a clear delineation of schools that maybe have the ability to offer Adams more immediate playing time. Of course, those mid-major schools would love to land a top 50 prospect in the class of player with his kind of upside upside, uh, and some programs where that's probably not going to be the case. Gonzaga does not have a role for Marcus Adams Jr. next season. They are looking to replace Alex Tui, who departed the program uh, to stay in Australia. He was a recruit who was going to come in and probably redshirt or at least play very little. That's what Gonzaga wants out of Marcus Adams Jr. Does he want to play that role at Gonzaga? I don't know. My gut says probably not, because if you wanted to stay at a really high-profile program and be on the bench and develop behind the scenes, he probably would have stayed at Kansas. Then you have like kind of the tweener programs. BYU is in the Big 12. They might be able to get him playing time right away. Is that enough of a sales pitch? It could be. Mark Pope is a pretty good recruiter. I think BYU is going to really struggle for a couple of years in the Big 12, and I don't know if Adams wants to go to a program that's not going to win a lot of games, but it's an opportunity to play minutes, real minutes, in the Big 12. Oregon just lost Devin Cambridge to the transfer portal. He would have kind of filled a a role as a wing player, perhaps – They're going to look at Marcus Adams as a guy who could play right away. This is a team that already has a really good group of freshmen on the roster in KJ Evans and Mookie Cook and Jackson Shellstad. This is a good young team that Dana Altman is building. Adding Marcus Adams Jr. to the mix could be really tantalizing. Not sure how many minutes he would play right away. This team also has Nefali Dante coming back and they got some other talent still around him on the roster, but... That's an opportunity to go play at a Power 5 program, a premier program, at least in terms of brand recognition. They haven't been particularly great on the basketball floor the last few years, but makes sense as a destination for him if he wants to kind of stay at a nationally relevant school while getting a little bit more playing time. 
There's going to be a lot of other schools that get in the mix here. I think UCLA and Syracuse, two places he took official visits to previously. Wouldn't be surprising to see them get back in the mix if they still remain interested in him. West Virginia, I think, makes some sense as a school that has lost a lot of talent in the last few weeks for reasons we have talked about extensively on the Locked On College Basketball podcast, but uh, certainly could be a, a school that could get in the mix here, especially if they don't feel confident they're going to get Jose Perez back, which it's not looking all of that likely at this point as Perez has taken uh, scheduling a visit to Michigan and is reportedly scheduling a visit to Gonzaga as well. So uh, Adams is a player to keep an eye on. There's not often top 54 star recruits available in late July. Uh, Whatever team gets him is going to get a player with a ton of upside. Whether he of course stays with that program through his development is something that remains to be seen. A lot of teams don't like getting guys like this and putting them on the bench because they might transfer. Kansas added Arterio Morris, who fits that exact same bill as a guy who didn't play much at Texas and then transfers and now has three years of eligibility uh, and is at Kansas where he can't transfer again without applying for a waiver. It's a good deal for Kansas. Similarly, Kansas lost MJ Rice, who went to North Carolina State, who gets a similar benefit as well. So whatever team recruits Marcus Adams Jr. is going to hope that they are able to keep him. Although, of course, as somebody who hasn't actually a transfer, he is able to transfer scot-free uh, for at his, at his next school. Well, we're going to move on and talk about summer league here a little bit. Cam Whitmore was a shocking faller in the 2023 NBA draft projected to go four, five, six range falls all the way to 20. And now after he's taken home the summer league MVP award, it kind of looks like he's already making a lot of those teams look really silly for not selecting him more on that. And a few other players who have really boosted their stock going out of summer league coming up after a word from today's sponsor, LinkedIn jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be a hundred percent certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. And that is why you have to check out LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. It is so easy to create a free job post, and then all you have to do is add your job, the purple hashtag hiring frame, to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and ultimately hire. And let's be honest, the right team member can have a positive and measurable impact on your business for years to come. This is why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus the leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, folks. I want to thank all of you for making Locked On College Basketball your first listen or your first watch of the day. My co-host Isaac Shade will be back with our regular guest Leif Tulin of the Locked On NBA Big Board on Thursday to discuss various changes coming around the college basketball landscape. We'll be back on Friday with more updates going on in this beautiful sport as well. So keep us plugged in every single day on the Locked On College Basketball podcast. For right now, though, Summer League is wrapped up, and we got an opportunity to see some of our favorite college basketball stars from last season and how they were able to adjust to what I'm going to call the NBA game. Frankly, Summer League is not quite like the NBA. It is far more disorganized. It is less play-driven, less focused on winning basketball games, quite honestly, and so you see a lot of kind of wonkiness 
in summer league. And I think we saw that from a lot of players who maybe didn't perform the way we expected them to perform or performed significantly better in many cases. And, and we never want to put too much stock into what happens in summer league. It's never a great idea. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think Cam Whitmore should have been drafted ahead of Brandon Miller, even though I have Cam Whitmore in the stock up section and spoiler alert, Brandon Miller in the stock down section. That's not what I am saying, but there are guys who definitely proved they deserve to get the opportunities that they deserve and other guys who, well, they have some more work to do to prove that they belong at this level. We're going to start on the positive note and on the the stock down guys to close out the show. And we're going to lead, of course, with Cam Whitmore. Cam Whitmore, Villanova, one and done. Uh, of course, dealt with injuries early in his career with the Wildcats. Uh, went on to have a very, very productive season. Was kind of projected in that top five, top eight range pretty much throughout the draft process with a lot of consistency. As we got closer and closer to the draft, he fell a bit. And we were kind of surprised, oh, maybe he's going to be like, not maybe not late lottery, but like mid-lottery, seven, eight, nine, maybe not even in the top ten. And then suddenly he just fell and he fell and he fell. And the team who picked at number four, the Houston Rockets, who decided to take Amen Thompson, ended up getting Whitmore, the guy that many thought they should take at four. They got him at 20 because he fell all the way to 20. And then Cam Whitmore went out and won the Summer League MVP award after averaging 19.3 points, 5.2 rebounds, 2.5 steals. In 31 minutes per game, he shot about 45% from the field, only shot about 29% from three, but that was never going to be a huge part of Cam Whitmore's game. I think he will develop as a three-point shooter as his career goes on, but we're not shocked that he didn't shoot it great in that regard. The defense looked good, a little inconsistent. He's still young. I mean, he's one of the youngest guys in the summer league, but just based on, I mean, it's just on his age. He's a super young guy, so you're gonna, he's going to fill out a little bit more. He's going to get more physical. He's going to learn some of those elements of the game. The other knocks on him were the passing. And yeah, the passing numbers weren't great in summer league, but I'm not going to judge a player, a, a forward, a six foot eight slashing wing on how well he passed in summer league. It's just not, not something that matters to me all that much. If he gets into the NBA, when he gets into the NBA, if the passing continues to be a significant issue, that's going to drag down his overall kind of ceiling. But the performance that we just saw from him proves that a lot of teams just overthought this. I think a lot of teams saw him falling and saw the six, seven, eight teams in front of them didn't take him. And they just kind of panicked. And they, they were like, what, what does Houston know? What does Indiana know? What does so-and-so know about his medicals that they didn't take him? So we're not going to take him. I, don't, I think it might be as simple as that. And I think a lot of teams are really, really going to be kicking themselves down the line uh, when they look at who they ended up with and what Cam Whitmore ends up being in his NBA career. Couple more guys whose stock seems to have risen after the summer league performances. I want to talk about Hunter Tyson here. Hunter Tyson was at Clemson for five years, one of the oldest guys coming out of the draft or coming into the draft, I should say. Ends up with the Denver Nuggets, a team that definitely wanted to take some guys who are capable of helping them right away. And Hunter Tyson really looked like the guy who's helpful, who's capable of helping this team right away as they look to defend their NBA championship. Tyson averaged 21 points per game, six boards, just under two assists. In 29 minutes, his shooting splits were excellent. 54.1% from the field, 50% from the three-point line, excuse me, and 87% from the free throw line. Excellent high-level productivity as a shooter for Hunter Tyson. He's a veteran guy who's going to help this team right away. And this is a team that has now collected a significant group of older 
rookies or older uh, older young players, if that makes sense, uh, who are capable of helping this team right away. A lot of wings. They have, of course, Christian Brown, who helped this team a ton last year, was a huge part of them winning an NBA championship. They have Julian Strother, who they used a first-round pick on, who also looked very good in summer league, particularly in his last few games. He scored in over 20 points per game in two of his last couple of games. Uh, they also have Peyton Watson, who's, of course, a younger guy who's a, a one-and-done player out of UCLA last year, but he's entering his second NBA season. And so this is a team that has a lot of young, talented wings kind of coming up through the system on a program that already has Jamal Murray, that already has, of course, Nikola Jokic. Like, this team really knows how to put the pieces around the stars that they already have. And some combination of, of Brown and Tyson and Strother and Watson is going to help this team significantly next season. Next up, I want to talk about Jalen Wilson. Jalen Wilson, of course, the former Kansas star, another veteran guy uh, who's with the Brooklyn Nets. And the Nets were kind of hoping that, that Wilson could be a guy who would help them right away as they kind of transition into a, a bit more of a rebuilding era uh, over in Brooklyn. And again, if the summer league is any indication, Jalen Wilson is going to be a guy who helps them right away. 17 and a half points per game, uh, 7.8 rebounds, two and a half assists, played about 30 minutes a night, shot just under 46% from three. He was lighting it up from beyond the arc. He had a plus minus of plus 16, which was tied for the sixth highest in the summer league, again, we're talking about four, five, six game sample sizes for most of these guys. So wouldn't read too far into that. But Jalen Wilson is a winning basketball player. He makes winning plays. He helps teams win. This is what he did at Kansas. This is what he's going to do in Brooklyn. And I think he's going to contribute right away for this Nets team. Finally, the last guy that I want to talk about, uh, more of a surprise. We talked about drafted guys throughout this, but I want to talk about an undrafted guy and a guy who was never really honestly, on a lot of draft boards who I thought looked really good in the summer league in a limited role. And that is Jelly Walker, Jordan Jelly Walker out of UAB. Team, of course, joining the AAC after having a really successful season in Conference USA and going all the way to the NIT championship. Jelly Walker, 13 points, three and a half assists and 1.3 steals, which is very solid production. But it's really worth pointing out that he did that, 13 points, three and a half assists in 15.7 minutes per game. That is insane levels of production to do in such a small role for the Dallas Mavericks. 33 and a half points per 40 minutes. 33 and a half. That is unreal levels of productivity. He shot 48.1% from deep. His three-point numbers were some of the best in the entire summer league. He's really, really good at scoring off the dribble. I think 32 of his 52 total points came off the dribble. He is a high-level scorer. He's on an Exhibit 10 deal, so he's not on a two-way contract right now. I have a hard time imagining that somebody's not going to put him on a two-way deal after seeing how much he can light it up as a scorer during his time with the Dallas Mavericks in summer league. Well, folks, what comes up must come down. And there are a handful of players, including an NBA draft darling, who just didn't pass the sniff test during their first iteration of Summer League. We'll talk about that coming up right after this. All right, segment three here, still Andy Patton, still Locked On College Basketball Podcast. And we're still talking about Summer League as we wrap things up here in the third week of July. We talked about four recent draftees, or I guess recent uh, college basketball players who are now playing professionally, who we think kind of boosted their stock and have made themselves look like even more appealing potential NBA players. We're going to talk about four guys who, who maybe didn't do the same. And we're going to start with Brandon Miller, because I teased in the second segment that we're going to talk about Brandon Miller. And I want to be clear. 
I don't think that Brandon Miller is destined to be a bust. I don't think that Brandon Miller's summer league was really even necessarily a failure, but he didn't play up to the level that we know he's capable of playing at. He had a rough July. I think that's kind of the simplest way to explain it is he looked rough. The overall stats, if you don't look too deep into them, don't look terrible. 17.3 points per game, eight rebounds per game, 2.3 assists in about 31 minutes. If he averages that as a rookie, you're probably going to be okay with that. 17 and eight is not awful. It's not bad by any stretch of the imagination. But Miller did it by hacking up shot after shot after shot after shot. And for those of you who watched a lot of Charlotte Summer League, you know he didn't make a whole lot of them. 35.5% from the field, 26% from deep. He was taking something like 15, 16 shots per game. They were just trying to get him going. And he didn't really get going. He played well in his final game against the Portland Trailblazers. That was his best game, not even close. Scored over 20 points, looked smooth, efficient in that game, and immediately after that, Charlotte shut him down. So again, reading too far into this is silly, and I'm not going to do that. But I'd be remiss if we didn't acknowledge that Brandon Miller's performance in Summer League probably didn't help for those people who already were like, oh, they should have taken Scoot, or even those people who think they could have taken Amin Thompson instead, and instead they were so adamant of we don't want to, or we want to draft based on positional need. We don't want to draft a point guard because we have a point guard in LaMelo Ball. So we're going to take Brandon Miller. The people who were convinced that that was a mistake have not been swayed by Brandon Miller's summer league performance. But the people who were confident that Brandon Miller is the right guy probably aren't looking at this with too much concern. And I wouldn't be either. I'd be hopeful that the 26% from three is going to raise. But again, we saw Brandon Miller in college. He's going to be a much better three-point shooter than that. I'm curious how this summer league performance will affect him. Is he going to kind of be able to push it behind and compete in training camp and, and come out as a solid rookie, like right out of the shoots? Is he going to make, take a little bit more time to get ready? Those are questions that you know we'll, we'll have answered for us as we get closer and closer to the NBA season. But again, not hitting the panic button on Brandon Miller way way too early to be doing that, but also what didn't come away particularly impressed with what he did in July in Las Vegas. A couple more guys stocked down, two more first-round picks to talk about. Next up, Jalen hood Shafino, Of course, the Indiana Hoosiers star who has taken 17th overall to the Los Angeles Lakers, three spots ahead of Cam Whitmore. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to toss that in there real quick here. hood Shafino, 11.8 points, 4.3 boards, and three assists. Decent productivity just in terms of overall uh, numbers there, uh, 29 minutes per game, but he really, really struggled to shoot it. He shot about 36% from three, which is totally fine. I think you would take that from a rookie, a rookie guard like Jalen hood Shafino, but he shot 31% from the field, which means he shot under 30% from two pointers, really horrendous finishing around the rim. Mid range game was non-existent. Hood Shafino didn't look like a player capable of scoring the basketball all that well at the NBA level. He also shot 46% from the free throw line, which is definitely not going to translate. So I think he just struggled for a handful of games. Again, we're talking not only is summer league not really conducive to actually the NBA, like it doesn't look the same. It's also a, a small sample size of games. The best players in the NBA sometimes shoot really crappy for five games. Like it's not, it's, it's hard to glean too much information out of this, but Hood Shafino didn't look, he looked good at times. He flashed some potential. A few of his games at the Lakers, he looked really good, but 
the finishing around the rim is something that concerns me. If he's not able to do that, that's going to really curb the overall potential for Huchifino at the next level. Next up, the 19th overall pick in the 2023 NBA draft, one spot ahead of where Cam Whitmore was selected. And I think this one might get scrutinized for a long time, depending on if he's able to turn things around. And that would be Brandon Pajemski, excuse me. Of course, the NBA draft darling, a player that many people were very excited to see uh, after having an explosive sophomore season at Santa Clara. Started his career at Illinois, basically did not play at all for the Illini, transferred to Santa Clara, uh, and was an absolute monster. Co-WCC Player of the Year alongside Drew Timmy, 19 points, 8.5 rebounds per game last year, really elite three-point shooter. And then he tested well at the Combine, he tested where he performed well in the scrimmages, boosted his stock all the way to being a top 20 player selected in the NBA draft, joins Steph Curry and Chris Paul and Clay Thompson in a what-the-heck-are-they-going-to-do type of backcourt in Golden State, and right now... Pajemski does not look like a player who's going to get a lot of playing time in part because there's three Hall of Famers in front of him and in part because he didn't look very good in summer league. He averaged 8.6 points per game. He did average 6.8 rebounds and six assists, which is really nice. So there's some playmaking skills, some distribution skills, some facilitation, but he also averaged 4.2 turnovers. A lot of turnovers in summer league. It's not, it's just one of the things that happens pretty significantly for me was the shooting because the shooting was pretty rough. 11 and a half attempts per game, and he shot 26% from the field. From three, he was under 22%. 21.7% from three, only 61.5% from the free throw line. Brandon Pajemski couldn't find the bottom of a net while in Las Vegas. He just couldn't. Again, he's a much better player than what he demonstrated, and I don't think that he's going to be a complete, completely unusable which a guy who shoots 22% from three is pretty rough, pretty hard to find playing time for that, especially in Golden State's spaced out offense. He's going to be better than that. But this expectation that, oh, he's the next Jalen Williams, like that was never a, a reasonable thing to ascribe to Brandon Pajemski for starters, him and Jalen Williams, despite both coming from Santa Clara, very different basketball players. But I don't think Pajemski is expected to be in anywhere close to the NBA rookie of the year conversation or even all rookie conversation because Golden State isn't going to play him that much. And what he showed in Summer League, that's probably okay. He might be a bit more of a developmental project than we really, than a lot of people maybe thought uh, when we first were kind of excited and scouting him. Again, five games in the Summer League is too much to be like, well, he's clearly not ready. I don't, I don't, we, don't, we don't want to overreact too much. But I think that what we saw from him is kind of an indication that, hey, maybe, maybe we pump the brakes and the excitement around him, at least until he gets his feet under him a little bit at the next level. Finally, last guy here. Uh, I didn't want to do all first round picks because I wanted to talk about a, a variety of players. But again, when you're trying to talk about a player whose stock is continuing to decline, you can't really do that with late second round picks or undrafted free agents because those guys don't have enough of a stock to really fall. But there is a counterexample, and that would be Gigi Jackson. Gigi Jackson, of course, uh, at times discussed as a top five, top 10 pick. Uh, in the 2023 NBA draft, as the season went on, he continued to fall and fall and fall, uh, was kind of a late first, mid first guy for a while. And then the combine happened and the workouts happened and things really kind of fell apart for him at that point. He didn't he didn't test well. His athleticism was really poor. There was some concerns about character and he plummeted all the way to 45th, where he was selected by the Memphis Grizzlies. And his summer league performance has not done anything to really sway any of the doubters. 
Gigi Jackson averaged 8.8 points, 4.2 boards, 1.4 assists, and 1.6 turnovers. Played about 22 and a half minutes per game. 22 and a half minutes per game, more turnovers than assists, also only nine and four. I mean, it's just not, not great production from Gigi Jackson. He shot 30.2% from the field. 3.2 makes per game on 10.6 attempts. Over 10 field goal attempts per game, and he's knocking them down barely 30% of the time. Jackson also took about six three-point attempts per game and knocked just one and a half down. That's good for 25.8%. Jackson was a bad shooter overall. He was a bad three-point shooter. He was a negative nine in plus minus. Again, I don't put too much stock in that unless it is jarring. Jackson was literally one of the worst plus minuses in all of Summer League this past couple of weeks. The stock had already plummeted for Gigi Jackson, but right now, I'm not sure it can get a whole lot lower. Now, Memphis didn't invest all that much in him. If your second round pick, 45th overall, never makes the NBA or never really pans out as just like a back of the rotation guy, that's that's fine. Nobody's going to talk about like huge misses in Memphis Grizzlies draft history, and they're gonna, they're not going to talk about Gigi Jackson. It's just not going to be a conversation. You you don't you don't get crucified for draft picks in the mid 40s being bad. You shouldn't. Maybe somebody between 46 and 58 is going to pan out. Maybe Trace Jackson Davis is going to become a star. If that case, maybe some Memphis fans will be a little bit grumbly about what happened here. But at the end of the day, Memphis took a shot on a kid who had the really high upside and who still does. I shouldn't say did. He does. He does have high upside. But right now, it feels very far away from where Gigi Jackson is. The potential just feels like it's getting farther and farther away from what the actual reality is. But he is still very young. Very young. One of the youngest in the class. So there's still some time for this to turn around. But for anybody hoping that you'd see glimpses of it in Summer League, we just really didn't. Maybe next year we will. A lot of guys who are sophomores who are uh, coming out of their first NBA season really exploded in Summer League. Maybe that'll be the case with Gigi Jackson next year, but I wouldn't expect to see a whole lot from him in the Memphis Grizzlies this upcoming season. All right, that is going to wrap it up for us today here on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Always enjoy talking summer league. I'm going to get back to some more transfer portal stuff, some more recruiting news as we get into it later in the week and going forward next week. Thank you all so much for listening. We appreciate every single one of you checking out the show on YouTube as well. Go hit that subscribe button if you have not done so yet. But once again, Thank you for listening. Enjoy the rest of the week. And of course, as always, peace out.